بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله This is session three or four It's four of module 10 in our Fardain program, we talk about heart matters. So for the past three classes, we've been talking about the things that are Fardain in relation to the heart, in relation to the inward states. And we said before that the way we structured the Fardain is according to the Hadith of Jibreel alayhi salam, which speaks about Islam, and that's the component of fiqh, or law. Iman, which is the component of belief, aqidah. And ihsan, which is this component. The component of the matters of the heart. And for the past few sessions, we've been talking about the first part of the knowledge we have to know about matters of the heart. And that is the takhliyah, or the things, the negative qualities that we have to know about that can reside in our heart that we have to know about and get rid of. So in the previous class, we had just ended with, we were about to go into the topic of envy or hasad. And that's where we left off and we'll start from there tonight. The time is short tonight uh, because of the, the fast and the iftar. So we'll see how much we cover tonight, inshallah. All right, so the next disease of the heart that we're looking at is the disease of envy or hasad. And this is a big one because, uh, as we said before, when you look at that list of diseases of the heart that Imam Muhammad Mawlud describes, you could read through that list and you can very quickly and easily point out the ones that you know you struggle with or you have struggled with or that are really easy for you to fall into while there are others that are less likely less likely for you to fall into them this is a big one and hasad affects the person and it affects others so there's this notion of transgressing against others as well now looking at the words of Imam Muhammad Mawlud he says if you were to describe your desire that someone lose his blessing as envy, then your description will be accurate. In other words, if you yourself were able, through some ruse, through some trick, to eliminate someone's blessing, you would utilize that ruse to do so. So envy is one of the worst diseases of the heart. And some of the ulama have said, that it is the root of all spiritual diseases because from envy comes craving after what other people have or what a person desires in this world. And from that comes vying and competition for it through different stratagems. And from that comes distraction and all sorts of other diseases. And hasad, according to some ulama, is also the very first sin ever committed. Now when the ulama talk about the story of shaitan, Iblis, and what caused him to get expelled from the company of the angels, 
when he was commanded to prostrate to Adam out of honor, he refused. And Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an that Iblis refused because, as he argued, أَنَا خَيْرٌ مِنْهُمْ خَلَقْتَنِي مِنْ نَارٍ وَخَلَقْتَهُ مِنْ طِينٍ I am better than him. You created him from uh, me from fire. You created him from clay. So from that verse, we may say that the first sin was arrogance or pride. But you could really see it as hasad too. Because if you look at it from a different perspective, it was his envy of the honor given to Adam salam that caused him to feel proud and arrogant as a way of kind of compensating for this, this uh, sense of not receiving the same kind of honor. So, hasad can lead to envy. and uh, Sorry, envy can lead to arrogance, and arrogance to, can lead to transgression. So some scholars say the first sin ever was arrogance. Others say it was this, hasad, envy. Iblis was envious over the honor Allah gave to Adam by having the angels prostrate to him in a prostration of honor and respect. So Imam Muhammad Mulut defines envy very clearly. It is that you wish for someone to lose a blessing. It's basically being a hater, you know. You see someone with something good and you wish that they didn't have it. Not that you have it and they also have it. That's a nice car. I really like it. I like to have the same car. No, this is, he has a nice car. I don't have a nice car. Does he think he's better than I am? I wish he gets into an accident. He shouldn't have that car. That's envy. So we go to the more refined definition. And the definition is that you want a person to lose a blessing they have. And it doesn't really matter what the object of envy is. It could be a material object like a car. It could be a job position. It could be uh, the respect that that person has in the community that the other person doesn't have. And it really doesn't matter what it is. It could be something that others might think is trivial and minuscule. doesn't matter. Now we have to be very careful here and clarify that there are two words in the Arabic language that can both be translated as envy. One is haram and the other is not haram. So the word hasad is envy, that's the haram type. The other word in Arabic is ghibta. And ghibta can be translated as envy, but it's not negative. So this kind of envy is the healthy envy where you see someone with a blessing and you don't wish for them to lose that blessing, but you also want to have that blessing in your life. This is permissible, whether it is something of the world or something that is connected to deen and matters of the hereafter. And we have the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, which clarifies this. In the famous hadith, he said, وسلم, that there is no hasad except for two people. Now note here he uses the word hasad, which tells you even the word hasad can be used for something okay. But in terms of a, sh a shar'i legal meaning, hasad is the bad type. So, la, la hasad illa fithnatayn. Uh, There's no hasad except for two people. A person whom Allah has given much wealth that he spends for good, 
and a person whom Allah gave wisdom and who dispenses it and teaches others. So this is uh, not restricting that ghibta to these two things, but these are the two main things, right? The person who has uh, wealth and they use that wealth for the right thing, for the right purposes, and they, they, they help society, they help people. And a person wishes that they had that kind of wealth that they too could spend on good causes. Or a person who has knowledge, wisdom, uh, memorization of the Qur'an, ilm uh, shar'i, whatever it is, and they envy that person wishing that they too had that knowledge and wisdom so that they too could dispense it and benefit themselves and others with it. So that is a healthy kind of envy and that's not forbidden at all. Because when you have that kind of healthy envy, you don't wish for the person to lose it. It's not about competing with them where you want to come out on top and put them beneath your feet. You want to have it and you want them to keep it too. There's a, a famous saying from uh, Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz uh, uh, one of the rightly guided khulafa. He said, I have never seen a zalim, an oppressor, who looks like one who is mazloom, oppressed, more than the envier. He is always distressed and craving. So this is a very strange sin because it is a sin of the heart that doesn't actually benefit the person. Right? You could think of certain sins that, okay, those sins are haram, obviously. But they do them and obtain some physical, carnal benefit from them. Right? Alcohol is haram, but a person may drink alcohol and they derive some enjoyment from it. It's still haram. But with envy, it's haram and there's no joy to be derived from it. It's just torturing oneself. And that's why he said, I've never seen anyone who's a zalim, who looks more like one who's madhloom than the hasid, the envious person. How do you know if you have hasad? Uh, the ulama say that one of the signs that you have hasad for someone is that you are angry with them and resentful when they're around. When they're around you, you feel that, that scratching at your soul, that you don't like that they have this or that. You feel resentful. And if they're not around you, you may backbite them, you may denigrate them. If someone says something good about them, you may have to slip in something negative, or if someone says something good about them, you may try to take it and flip it and make it sound negative. Right? Envy takes lots of forms. And if something bad happens to that person, the hater, the hasid, will be happy. This is a kind of shamata. You know, in, in Arabic you have shamatatul a'da, this feeling of joy when something bad happens to your enemy. So the envious person will actually be happy if that person loses a blessing or something bad happens to them in general, that's a sign of hasad. And Imam al Ghazali, among others, uh, speaks at length about hasad and describes how, out of all of the sins of the heart, is actually one of the most dangerous. And the reason why it is the most one of the most dangerous is because it actually attacks the roots of iman. The root of Iman, you know, belief in Allah Ta'ala, belief that Allah is wise, that Allah Ta'ala is the Mu'ti, He's the one who gives. 
and he is the one who withholds, and that he gives to this one and, and withholds from that one, all from his hikmah, all from his divine wisdom. Hasad is attacking the root of faith because the envious person, they don't say this, obviously, because if they said it, it would actually be kufr, but the state of their soul, yani we say lisanul hal, right? The, the, the mute tongue of expression is as if they are saying, without saying, Allah gave this blessing to the wrong person. He should have given it to me. And that is the attitude of Iblis. Iblis wanted that honor that was given to Adam. He felt that he deserved it. And he used his feeble intellect to even make an argument for this. Right? You know, in logic you have, you have the premises and the conclusion in the syllogism, right? So his syllogism was, uh, I am created of fire. Premise number one. Premise number two, fire is superior to clay. The conclusion, I am superior to Adam. Right? So the, the lisan al-hal, the inward state of the person, it's like they're saying that Allah gave this blessing to the wrong person. This is very deadly to faith. And uh, moreover, it is a, an entitled and childish and shaitani way of thinking that I deserve something more than someone else. And they are wrong for having it when I don't have it. So this is a very deadly sin of the heart. <clears throat> now, the ulama, when they explore this disease, they also look at the roots. Or what causes envy? Why do some people envy others? And through their reflections, they suggested that there are six or seven main reasons why people have envy. They say, for example, one of the reasons or causes of envy is simply hatred and animosity towards the mahsud, the one who is envied. They just don't like them. So let's say that you have two people and they already don't get along with each other. There's some bad blood. There's some, some enmity there for whatever reason. If one of them receives something in the world good from the perspective of the other, because of that dislike they have for them, they will envy them for having it because they wish that they didn't have it. So that's one cause. Another cause is vying for the love of others. So you're competing for the love and attention of someone and the person envied is getting more of that attention than you. And this is a big cause of family problems. You know, they call it sibling rivalry, right? You see it. Siblings often get jealous over each other because of the perceived attention that more, one child receives more than the other. Uh, or, the fa or favoritism from the parents. And it may be true that the parents are showing favorites to one over the other. And that shouldn't, that's wrong. And it shouldn't be so obvious even if they feel it in the heart. But that sibling rivalry often causes envy. Uh, another cause is arrogance, just kibir, thinking that I'm better than someone. So how is it that he's getting that and I don't have it? And this is the proverbial hater to use in the common lingo. The person who they see someone with something good, they, they think, well, they're not worthy of that. I am worthy of that. Who are they to have that good thing? So this 
you find is really at the root of the kufr of Quraysh. Really, when you go into the seerah and when you explore and reflect on the Qur'an and the response of Quraysh, you see a lot of their rejection was rooted not in anything theological. They had some theological arguments, but at the root of those arguments was basically envy. How is it, they would argue, that Allah chose one from them? And not from our tribe. There was these, this competition between the different tribes. And how is it, you know, the one tribe is saying, well, how is it that Allah gave revelation to Banu Hashim and not to us? We deserve it. We're better. So because they're proud of their tribe and think they're better, they felt that revelation should have come to them and not to the other tribe. So that's envy. Another cause of envy is what they call ta'azuz. And ta'azuz is not an easy word to translate. But it is basically seeking honor owing to a feeling of dishonor. It's, it's basically the person who lacks a healthy sense of honor. And because they lack that sense of honor from their own abilities and accomplishments, they envy other people, and they want to bring them down. So they're at this level, and because they don't have a healthy sense of honor, they want to bring others down to their level. So if someone has more than them, they want to bring them down, so they envy them, right? That is a cause of envy too. Another cause is ujub, which is just conceit, vanity. This is the person who is so amazed with themselves that they're shocked and envious that anyone should have what they don't have. So they think so highly of themselves, very similar to arrogance, that they're shocked that someone would have what they don't have. And so they envy them. And lastly, among the causes of envy is seeking position and leadership, which is seeking jah, which is seeking a position in the eyes of others, seeking leadership, seeking power. And this is the one who seeks power and influence among others, but they don't get it. And this is actually the envy of the munafiqun. The envy of the munafiqun who outwardly expressed Islam, but inwardly concealed their kufr. It was because of, of envy, wanting power that they couldn't acquire. And we see that in the story of Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul, the chief of the hypocrites in Medina. His envy was because he was very close to being crowned the king of Yathrib until the Prophet ﷺ came. And once he came, well, those hopes were dashed and he had envy wanting this leadership that he can't have anymore. So they resent people who have positions they don't have. So there's lots of causes. Now, one of the things that uh, Sheikh Muhammad Mawlud mentions about envy, uh, I quote, but if the fear of Allah, al-Samad, prevents you from doing so, meaning exercising that envy, acting on that envy, then you're not an envious person. This is what Hujjatul Islam al-Ghazari expected with hope from the bounty of the possessor of majesty and generosity. 
So basically he's saying that if you feel a craving for what other people have that you don't have, but you dislike that quality in you, you don't like it that you're feeling that way, you're not really envious. Because you have recognized that feeling, you dislike it, and you're trying to fight it. So you're not actively hating on the person, you're not actively wishing for them to lose that blessing. But if, let's say, a person gets something you don't have, and you start to feel the tinges of jealousy, but you recognize it in your heart, and you think, well, that's not good, I shouldn't have that. You feel bad about it, and you don't act on it. He says that person is not a hasid. They're not envious. As long as you dislike the quality, and as long as you're not actively wishing for the removal of a blessing, you're not an envious person, inshallah. So there's hope that just feeling that while not acting on it is a sign that, inshallah, you don't have it. So how do you treat this? The treatment uh, is, it sounds super easy, but it's actually quite difficult. And that is to go against one's hawa, one's caprice. So some of the scholars say that if you find yourself envious of someone, you recognize it in yourself and you want to treat it, then you should do something good for that person you envy. You can praise them. You can say Alhamdulillah for the blessing Allah gave them. You can remind yourself of who gave them that blessing. You can speak good about them. Things like that. Theoretically, the way you cure envy involves what we, we said, al-ilm al-nadari, the, the theoretical aspect, the, the inward reflection. They say reflect on the fact that if you are envious of other people, you're not hurting them. Apart from the ayn, the evil eye, but you're really hurting yourself on all accounts. Think about how miserable it is to be a jealous person. And... Release that from yourself. Release that resentment that you have for other people and that jealousy. Think about the internal turmoil it creates in your heart and think about the punishment for it in the hereafter. Because the person who's envious has turmoil in their heart. It makes them miserable. It's a sin of the heart. And they face possible punishment in the hereafter. So there's punishment here and punishment in the hereafter. Thinking about that and reflecting on it can help one rid themselves of envy. Also, they say, think about how it is the primary quality of shaitan. And we've said this before, that we talk about halal and haram and sins. The ulama are very careful to note that there's different categories of sins, besides major and minor sins. You have some sins that are hayawaniya, they're, they're animalistic. Animalistic in the sense that they are sins that are still rooted in our biological needs, right? Our biological instincts. So sins of the stomach and the private parts are animalistic sins. So although they are sins, they are rooted in one's biological instincts, but they're going in the wrong direction. So you have a halal venue for those things. But then you have sins that are shaitaniya. Meaning they're not even rooted in human biology or human instinct. They're just shaitani in nature, such as envy. It's a shaitani sin. 
Lastly, the ulama say you should reflect on the envier and how his envy doesn't actually help him or remove the blessing. It's just a vain shaitani caprice. It doesn't help the person, doesn't benefit them. So if a person thinks about these things and they actively watch over their heart when they see someone with blessings, inshallah they can root out the envy by just paying attention to the heart and the feelings one has towards others. And if they find that they do have animosities with people, or they find that they are vying with someone for something else, they have to be very mindful that hasad could rise from that. And uh, address the heart. This is a sin of the heart, and it is removed by interrogating the heart. And thinking about this, thinking about the fluctuations of one's internal attitudes and states. Right? There's an athar from uh, the tabi'un, it's said to be a hadith, but it's actually an athar from the tabi'un, the second generation. It says that the believer goes through 40 different states in a single day. And they have fluctuations of emotions, feelings. Whereas the hypocrite has only one. Meaning, they go through their life not even thinking about these feelings. They just, whatever they think, they own it. And they don't think that, oh, this is actually something wrong. But the believers thinking about their fluctuating emotions and feelings. Why is my attitude towards this person this way? Why am I thinking this about that person right now? Is that right? Is that wrong? Is that justified? Where does that come from? How do I get rid of that? So that's the believer. And by doing that, you will, inshallah, actively remove envy and prevent it from arising in the future, inshallah. So that is the first of the diseases of the heart we covered tonight. And we may cover one or two more. Uh, now the next one is a lot shorter than envy. And it's called blameworthy modesty. What's the word for modesty in Arabic? Haya. Now haya in reality can never be blameworthy. The Prophet ﷺ says, Al-haya only brings good. So when the scholars say al-haya al-madhmum, blameworthy modesty, they use the word haya in a figurative sense. What they mean is a kind of shyness that is negative. And reading from the words of Imam Muhammad Mawlud, he defines it as for blameworthy modesty, it is that which prevents one from denouncing the condemnable, or from asking a question concerning a matter related to religion and the like. For this reason, it is considered a harmful quality. So he says, he, he gives us three things. There's two main ones, and then he says, and the like, without specifying. The two main ways that blameworthy modesty manifests, he says, number one, not denouncing the condemnable. That is, not forbidding evil, and not condemning falsehood. So let's say a person knows this thing is evil, and they have the ability to speak out about it. There's no greater harm that would prevent them from doing it. All the conditions for commanding the good and forbidding the evil are there. But they're so shy that they remain silent. They remain silent in the face of falsehood, even though they have the ability to condemn it, 
they're in the position to do so, and there's not even going to be a harmful effect in doing so. That is a blameworthy modesty. Uh, if they know the conditions for, for forbidding the evil, and they don't do it, it's blameworthy. If they know that they don't fulfill all the conditions, or that it can lead to a greater harm, then of course that's different. So that is one. And this is a tricky one, because often a person questions themselves. This person I know is doing something haram. And I know the Prophet ﷺ says, if you see an evil, change it with your hand. And if you're unable to, change it with your tongue by speaking out about it. If you're unable to do that, then at least hate it in your heart. The problem is people wonder, well, at, at which level am I at? And can I do it? Do I fulfill the conditions? What are they going to say? Uh, what are they going to do? How is this going to impact my relationship with them in the future? Are they going to lash out at me? They, they begin to worry about all of these things. And some people are just shyer than others. And that shyness prevents them from saying some, that is wrong when they should say it is wrong. So if we find ourselves like that, we have to exercise this quality of commanding the good and forbidding the evil when we can. That is the first type of blameworthy modesty. The second type is just as common, and that is the blameworthy modesty of not asking about matters pertaining to the deen. A person has something going on in their life, and they need to know the hukum of Allah concerning it, but they're too shy to ask a scholar. It's too personal. They're embarrassed. But while they're too shy and embarrassed to ask, they don't get the question answered. And during that time, they may be involved in something haram and dangerous to their hereafter. But they wouldn't know because they're too shy to ask. And this is quite common. And we have the hadith of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. She reflects on the, one of the beautiful qualities of the Ansar women in, in Medina. And she said, uh, their shyness did not prevent them from asking questions about matters concerning deen. You know, they, although they were shy, they did not allow that shyness to prevent them from going to the Prophet ﷺ and asking questions about very personal matters that concern them and their religious life. So if a person is too shy, this is blameworthy in this case. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't mention uh, any other examples. He said, and the like. And some of the scholars say that you could add to this an, uh, another one, which is, uh, and the like, which is the, the blameworthy modesty of, you know, not, uh, you know, allowing people to step all over you and not tell them, or not set boundaries, right? You, be, you basically facilitate them committing sin against you, right? A person may sin against you by backbiting, stealing from you, lying about you, cheating you in business. That's one thing. But then there is the personal offense of, of someone harming you day in and day out or regularly, and you're too shy to set appropriate boundaries. And because of that, you you're facilitating in a way 
for them to keep sinning against you. Uh, and there's no easy answer to how to get out of that. People have to learn how to set boundaries. And people are often scared to do so because they're, they're not used to it. But it could apply to there, there as well. Inshallah, we'll cover uh, one more, inshallah, because we have fantasizing, and then we have showing off, which is quite a lengthy topic. Uh, fantasizing is also considered a disease of the heart, but it doesn't mean any kind of fantasizing. You know, if you're thinking about being on a nice pond inside of a boat, fishing on a nice, cool, crisp morning, you're fantasizing about it. That's not what it's talking about. Imam Muhammad Maulud defines this fantasizing by saying, it is the heart's engagement in matters that do not concern it. And this is only forbidden, he says, when it pertains to the prohibited, such as fantasizing about the beautiful qualities of a woman or dwelling on the faults of Muslims, even in their absence. All of this goes back to the words of the Prophet from the beauty or goodness of a person's Islam is that they leave what does not concern them. And I'm telling you, this is one of the hardest hadiths to practice. Because think about how many times we engage in things that don't really concern us every single day. Every single day when we pick up that phone, it's happening. So it's not all haram, but one should work towards only concerning themselves with things that really matter to them. And what is concern, what concerns us is based on a standard. It's not our personal whims or what we feel is our concern. You know, just because a person is nosy doesn't mean that it's a legitimate concern what their neighbor is eating for dinner or, you know, what they have or what they don't have. You know, the concern here has to be with the standard. And the standard is what is bringing you actual benefit, halal benefit, in this life or in the hereafter. If it doesn't bring you actual benefit, it doesn't really concern you. That's it. So he says here that fantasizing as a disease of the heart is only forbidden when it pertains to what is haram. So fantasizing about the haram is haram. The principle is if something is haram to do, it is haram to speak about in a, in a manner of levity. And it's also haram to fantasize about it. And that's why the ulama mentioned you know, that if you, if you have a wine glass, and you don't, you're not drinking wine, but you have a wine glass, and you pour orange juice inside, and you and your friends are pretending that you're drinking wine, that is actually prohibited, because you are basically pretending and fantasizing about something that is haram. Just drink the juice out of the wine glass, but don't make it a fantasy of drinking alcohol. Right? Now, the ulama say that this fantasizing can be internal or external because the fantasizing is not just the ideas in the mind. Here, fantasizing is defined as basically busying yourself with things that don't really concern you, right? So external examples would be 
asking people private questions without need because you know you're thinking about you know their business and so you ask them you know gossiping that's another thing prying into people's affairs asking questions that are none of your concern you know someone goes up to a woman and says are you pregnant right that's not an appropriate question right uh, any plans any update where do you work you know there's a fine line because as we get to know people we ask questions like where do you work or where do you live what do you do for a living and if it's building rapport between people and there's common interest that's fine but we're talking about doing it out of nosiness right so a person should avoid asking questions that require people to either tell an uncomfortable truth or give them a misleading impression right say someone comes out of a store or out of a mall and you see them assalamu alaikum what did you buy what do you mean what did i buy don't ask me that maybe i'm buying something that is sensitive that you shouldn't know about it doesn't concern you maybe it's a gift for you but now you're not getting it so don't ask questions like this that put people in an uncomfortable position uh, that is the external form uh, imam muhammad Mawlud is mentioning fantasizing about the haram in the mind uh, and that's the internal version of this disease so and he says it's haram to fantasize over the beautiful qualities of a woman and we add a man for a woman uh, to whom one is not married this is prohibited uh, also dwelling on the faults of Muslims even in their absence so you know this is a sin of the heart you know this person has a certain fault and you're thinking about it and you're you know going over it in your mind not with the intention of helping them it's just you're fantasizing about it thinking about it without any real benefit you don't intend to do anything about it that is blameworthy so whatever is haram to do or haram to speak about is haram to fantasize about. Very simply. There is another form that is unrelated to these and is not mentioned by the Shaykh. And I don't know if we can use the word fantasizing to describe it, but it is thinking, a kind of prohibited thinking. And that is, I think I have it in the next slide, yes, uh, reflecting deeply on the nature of Allah's essence, the kunhudhat, right? Thinking deeply about the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, dhatul aliyah. And this is haram. Uh, and when we mean by thinking about the essence, we don't mean thinking about the meanings of Allah's names and attributes and the effects of those names and attributes in creation, right? Thinking about the name Rahman and the manifestations of Rahmah the name Al-Ghafar and Allah's forgiveness, the name Al-Razaq and the manifestations of provision, that's not what we mean. We're talking about thinking about the, the essence of the essence of the divine nature. Thinking, pondering about that as if one is going to discover the, the nature of the essence of the divine, that is a prohibited form of thinking. And we learned this from the Prophet ﷺ, who said, contemplate the favors of Allah and do not contemplate the ineffable essence of Allah. Because when you do that, 
it leads you to two bad roads or more. It either leads you to the road of tashbih and tajseem, where you begin to imagine Allah resembling creation, where you begin to have a form in your mind of what you think Allah looks like. And whatever, whatever occurs to your mind, Allah is other than that. Because whatever you assemble in your mind is an assemblage of things in the world that you have already seen. You're just abstracting them and mixing and matching and coming up with an image. Whatever you conceive of, Allah is other than that. So if a person thinks too deeply like that, it could lead them down the path of anthropomorphism. Or it leads them to ta'atil, where they end up becoming basically atheist, right? Uh, because they cannot grasp the divine essence. That is something to avoid. Instead, we reflect, as the Prophet wasallam said, on the blessings of Allah, the manifestations of the effects of Allah's names and attributes in creation. Like I said earlier, the manifestation of His Rahmah as Rahman. The manifestations and the meanings of Al-Razaq, how, the mean, how that is reflected in the provision we receive, uh, and all of the other names as well. So that is something to avoid. So we covered what? Envy. What's the second one? Hmm? Bl- blameworthy modesty and fantasizing. There is another one here. And then there's uh, Riya. But we'll have to stop here because we started a little bit late. We have fear of poverty. And then we have showing off. Fear of poverty, khawf uh, al and Riya, showing off. The showing off one is, uh, is quite detailed because there's a lot to consider uh, and there's lots of forms it takes and that's another one of the very common and very dangerous diseases of the heart. Allahumma tahir qulubana min kulli wasfin yuba'iruna an mahabbatika wa mushahadatika ya arhamar rahimin ya rabbil alameen. Allah purify us and uh, give us this awareness. And uh, you know the purpose of these slides is not just for me to read from. The slides are shared for you to review these things. And everything that we talk about is not something that we learn once and we're done with forever. Everything that we have learned so far from the beginning of this program until now is uh, matters that we should always go back to time and time again and review them and remind ourselves. That is the way of the, of the ulama. That is what they advise us to do. And the benefit of these slides is you can go back and review them you can think about them, think about these meanings, consider how they may appear in your life. And from that, you learn the fard, what you have to know, and you have the tools to helpfully rid yourself of whatever may arise. May Allah Ta'ala remove them all from us. I mean, so inshallah, next week we'll pick up with fear of poverty and showing off. We have a couple of minutes for questions, if anyone wants to ask anything before we go for salah. Yes. Not thinking about the problems of the ummah, or even the problems of a single individual from the ummah. What he means by quantum fant. Thinking about the faults of Muslims is 
it's akin to a person reenacting in their mind the bad character of some of the Muslims they're, they're dealing with and thinking about where they may have character flaws, which may or may not be there. It could be just the person's own perception. So it's kind of an internal backbiting, if you will. Think of it like that. Like there's a backbiting of the tongue, and then there's the backbiting of the heart. Imam al-Ghazali says that there is a backbiting of the heart, which is where you're backbiting the person without verbalizing it. Uh, an exception to this is if a person is thinking about someone's faults, but they're reflecting on how they can address the problem, or pray, or they, it comes to their mind and they pray for that person, or they think how they can give them advice. In that case, they're not thinking about their faults as a way to gloat and feel that they're superior, or they're not thinking about their faults in order to uh, basically just uh, backbite them in their heart. They're thinking about how they can help the person uh, either directly or with the help of others. That would not be the same thing. Wallahu Yeah, the, one of my old teachers was asked which, which command in Islam is the hardest to practice? And he answered, it is commanding the good and forbidding the evil. It is very difficult to do. And we have to consider our relationships and our circle of influence. Who will likely listen to us? And who will likely not listen to us? Who will likely respond in a positive manner to our advice? Who will get angry and lash out? And we have to consider those things. But you know, if you think about it in a, in a more simple way, your own children. Think about your own children. If your own children are doing things you know they shouldn't do, are you too shy to tell them no? Maybe they listen, maybe they don't listen to you, but you still say no, and you still tell them that what you're doing is wrong. You should not feel too shy or too afraid to, that it's going to create drama that you actually don't say what is truth. What they do with it is up to them, especially as they get older. But you shouldn't allow any sense of hesitancy or shyness to prevent you from saying you know, that is wrong, and there is a standard that we try to live by. We don't always meet that standard, but this is the standard. And you're not meeting that standard in this particular thing you're doing or saying or whatever, right? People are shy to even tell their children, no, stop, that's wrong, right? So if you could think about those for whom uh, it's, you know, those to whom it's easy to give that correction, and you know, work your way out in that circle of influence. People who are likely to listen to you. If you find yourself too shy to say something, you know, think about it like this. We should endeavor as Muslims to have the kind of relationship where, you know, if you are my brother and I am your brother and I'm doing wrong, that you, 
out of love and concern for me as your brother will tell me, what you're doing is wrong. You're slipping. You're messing up. And I'm only telling you that because I love you. Right? Think about your child. You would tell your child to look both ways when they cross the street. Right? You care about that. And you would care about some other child that's not yours doing the same. But you have more concern for your child being harmed than some abstract child out there that you don't see. So as Muslims, we should have that kind of concern. But the problem is, as you alluded to in the question, people are so sensitive and we're afraid they're going to take it the wrong way. Uh, and sometimes that's because some people do come a little heavy-handed with, let me give you some nasiha, brother, and then they come with the sledgehammer and they don't know how to do it right. And people get sensitive to that and they don't want to come across as, you know, I'm the, you know, I'm the super religious Muslim, I'm holier than thou, and I'm judging you. And because they don't want to be perceived like that, they're hesitant to say anything. But you have to create an, an environment of munasaha, where, okay, I give you advice in the best way possible, privately, if you are doing something wrong. I'm not going to allow my shyness to prevent me from telling you that because I don't want bad for you. I want good for you. And if you continue doing this thing, it's bad for you. Right? So it is the hardest command. I would agree with that, Sheikh, that it is one of the hardest commands to fulfill. Uh, fortunately, it does have conditions, in which case uh, there's conditions for obligation and there's conditions for its permissibility. Right? So sometimes there's conditions that are not met where it, it's something you can do, but it's not reached the level of wujub, of obligation. Uh, and sometimes it's, you're lacking the conditions for it to even be allowed. And that's something I think we want to explore later on in the Fard Ayn course as it relates to, I guess, contemporary matters, you know, personal relationships, with people, uh, what is the nature of commanding the good and forbidding the evil? What are the preconditions? What are the preventatives? The shurut and mawani'r, the obligation, the conditions of obligation and conditions of permissibility. It, it's something that everyone should learn so that you know whether or not you are obligated to say something or whether you are not obligated to say something. And by knowing some of those conditions, you can better navigate how you tackle problems and issues with people that you love and care about. Wallahu a'lam. Khair. Stop here, inshallah. Jazakumullah khair.